0: When the government establishes a mandatory source of supply, that means there's pretty much no way around it. That's what no less than the Defense Logistics Agency found when it issued a solicitation for body armor parts. More about the case now from Smith-Pactor-McWhorter Procurement Attorney Joseph Petrillo. He spoke with Tom Temin. This case arises from a Defense Logistics Agency solicitation for a competitive procurement for something called Advanced Tactical Assault Panels, or ATAPs. And They're apparently uh, multi-purpose vests worn by soldiers, which they can keep their equipment and protective plates for ballistics purposes. The Defense Logistics Agency issued the solicitation, but the vests in question, these ATAPs, were covered by a program set up many years ago in the 1930s by the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act. It's now called the Ability One Program. The purpose is to promote employment, among the blind and severely handicapped. And the severely handicapped portion of the program is administered by a nonprofit agency called Source America. And what happens under the program is that a nonprofit agency that employs severely handicapped people can become a mandatory source for items or services required by the federal government. And in this case, ATAPS was on that list of things that are covered, and the mandatory source was a company called Secri.
1: And it turns out Secri felt that it didn't need to bid on this because it is the sole
0: mandated source. Right. So why was DLA issuing a competitive solicitation? When Secri heard out about that, uh, it went to Source America. Source America went to DLA and said, well, wait a minute, this is on our list. There's a mandated source. And DLA went ahead and said, "No, we're going to go forward with a competitive solicitation, Secretary. You can submit a bid if you want to." But DLA did not seek an exception from Source America, from the mandatory source program, which it could do, but it I guess either didn't qualify or didn't bother. So in this instance, the procurement proceeded, offers were submitted, and at that point, Secretary filed a protest with the Court of Federal Claims. Now. The court looked at the requirements for filing a protest, and the trial court at the Court of Federal Claims held that it had not met two of them. First of all, it was not an actual or prospective bidder. It didn't submit a proposal, and that's one of the requirements. Secondly, it had not objected to the solicitation before the close of the bidding process. The standard timeliness (laughs) type of issue. Exactly. In GAO, that's covered by a rule. In the court of federal claims it's an appellate decision that set that up called the blue and gold rule and in this case the court of federal claims said no you you're not going to be able to submit a protest here but SECRI didn't stop at that answer it appealed to the u.s court of appeals for the federal circuit which then reversed the lower court SECRI was found out to be a prospective bidder the failure to submit a bid or file a protest during the bidding period didn't bar its later protest to the Court of Federal Claims because it was a mandatory source. That gave it a special position. The Federal Circuit reason that Congress had set up this program specifically to avoid entities like SECRI from having to participate in the competitive bidding process. It's the other way around. The law imposes the obligation on federal agencies to acquire listed items from their mandatory sources unless they get an exception. We're speaking with Joseph Petrillo. He's a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. So then the solicitation was pretty much canceled out and DLA would have to go through SECRI. By the way, SECRI stands for Southeastern Kentucky Rehabilitation Industries, Inc. And so they get the bid, period? Well, not quite yet. I mean, the issue here is whether SECRI can bring a protest. And the protest was dismissed before it was really heard. And as I mentioned, the Federal Circuit decided on the question of being a prospective bidder. It didn't make sense to require sources under the Source America program to monitor all solicitations and file protests with the agency. The other issue on appeal was whether it needed to object to the solicitation before award. And the Federal Circuit thought in this case that It was sufficient that Secretary went to Source America, which went to DLA and said, hey, you're getting this mandatory source item in the wrong way. The court also stated that it hadn't previously extended this rule, this blue and gold rule to uh, the Ability One program. So it leaves open the possibility that the rule doesn't apply here at all. But now, since the appeal was granted, the case goes back to the court of federal claims, which now must adjudicate the bid protest it will determine whether or not SECRI should have received this contract instead of having it go through the competitive bidding process.
1: Right, so we don't know the final disposition of this.
0: No, we don't. But the lesson here for federal agencies is that if you're ignoring a mandatory source of supply, you've got to be diligent about following the rules, getting an, an exception, or you're leaving yourself open for a protest even after bids and proposals are due. Joe Patrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor mcwhorter We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federaldrive.
1: Hello, I'm wife of CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Anunda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here.
1: Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? You
2: No, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all, but I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old. And uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boy's team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career.
1: Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning, and and how did that lead you to where you are today?
2: Well stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do.
1: Angie, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you.
1: This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you
2: next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely.